Welcome to GM Mastermind, an RPG podcast catering to game masters looking to hone their craft. Each week, we bring on a panel of individuals known as the Brain Trust to cover a specific topic. Introducing the Brain Trust for this episode, Craig Shipman of Third Floor Wars. You can find him on Twitter at Third Floor Wars. Craig's got 35 years as being a game master. The RPGs he's run includes Mothership, Forbidden Lands, Call of Cthulhu, and Blades in the Dark. Most recently, he's run in Forbidden Lands, Fear Itself, and Mothership. If you love interviews with designers and creators, check out Craig's podcast, Tabletop Talk. If you want actual plays for games that are entertaining and showcase mechanics, check out his YouTube and Twitch channels. Links in the notes. Introducing Eric Salzweedle to the Brain Trust. You can find Eric on Twitter at Eric. He's been game mastering for over 30 years. His expertise lies within RPGs such as Solar Blades and Cosmic Spells and the Mecha Hack. He continues to run those games as well as Index Card RPG. Find him talking about RPGs on his podcast's back catalog at the Omega 3D Chicken Coop. Hi, I'm Sean. I'm the moderator of the show. I've been playing RPGs for quite some time, and recently I'm game mastering Delta Green, the scenario Sweetness, and playing in a Forbidden Lands game. You can find me on Twitter at GM underscore Mastermind. In this episode, we'll be covering duet gaming. That's one game master and one player. Now, on to the show. Craig, Eric, welcome to GM Mastermind and The Brain Trust. Thank you. Appreciate you having us. Yeah. Uh, what the heck was the name of your podcast, Eric? <laughs> it's the Omega 3D Chicken Coop. And there's a story about that. You have to listen to the Omega 3D Chicken Coop podcast. <laughs> To get it, I'm going to leave you with that teaser. That's so so much better than the Delta Coop. Yeah. <laughs> it's the Omega 3D Chicken Coop. It's and I, you know, one day maybe Omega 3D Chicken Games will actually produce a game, and you know, it's a whole thing. I got a logo and everything, guys. Watch out. You know, I gotta I gotta love names like that because you're not going to be. It's not going to be a problem to get the domain name, the Twitter <laughs> account, like any of that it's stuff. There. It's yeah. there. Not too many trademarked uh, 3D Delta Omega chicken coops out there, I don't think. No. All right. So we're talking about duet gaming on this episode, which Eric and Craig have both both have experience. Craig, tell us a little bit about what you've, as far as duet gaming, what's your experience been? Well, this is where you regret inviting me on the podcast. I will, I will cut you off. <laughs> This one time at band camp, shut up, Craig. Next, Eric. Eric, go. <laughs> um, so I, you know, way back when in high school, I would do it all the time, right? Um, because that's all we could do uh, sometimes, getting kids to the table. But most recently, I came back to it doing um, Chaosium's new uh, uh, Does Love Forgive, which is a, a scenario book that's got three scenarios in it, and all of them are duets. And... Uh, I got the book because I pretty much buy everything KSM puts out now. And I was just like, you know what? I haven't done this in a very long time. And a good buddy of mine, Nick, who's been on the channel a lot, he's was wicked into it. And uh, I said, let's go for it. So the most recent thing that I've done is uh, one of the scenarios in that. So previously, when you said you did it a long time ago as your kid, which, which system did you use back then? Uh, either D&D or GURPS, depending on you know when it was. Uh, I started with D&D, and then we all moved to GURPS. Interesting. So one-on-one... GURPS and D and or D and D. What edition of D and D? Do you remember? I would have had to have been three, three and a half. Probably it, then. No, it may have been two. I, honestly, I don't know. I don't know. Whatever, whatever you play, whatever you played in the mid eighties. Mid eighties. Oh, that would have been basic second, or one e. It was the red box, I think. Yeah, whatever wow. red box is that. Moldvay. I'm not. I'm not a D and D historian. I can't. I don't know all the box colors. I'm, I'm, I'm terrible. Red about box it. is Metzner, gentlemen. Oh, yeah, well, that's good. We have the mastermind himself here. So thank you, Sean. Well, I do have my shortcomings. Eric, how'd you, how'd you get started in duet gaming? 
so what's funny is I'm driving around today doing my last minute prep for this mentally thinking about it. And I've re- realized I did, I've done way more duet gaming, um, than I've recalled. So much like Craig, I started probably gaming 1991, 1992-ish, but it was out of necessity to do a game. I, we lived in a trailer park out in the country, and there wasn't a lot of people to play with. I had a rule cyclopedia book. I was 13 years old. My brother was nine, so I would run adventures for him. And then my sister, who was more into Barbies, would occasionally play with us, maybe the neighbor kids occasionally. But if we wanted to play D&D, I had to run solo games for my brother so that was kind of the start and those were some monty hall kind of ridiculous games you know when you got a 13 year old running a game for a nine-year-old you can only imagine uh what those were like (laughs) (laughs) roll that die yeah just roll Uh, high roll over a 10 if you roll 10 you you do it you do it if you roll 10 we tried like playing with brain. we actually did we actually did domain rules yeah we actually did domain rules where my brother was a monk I'll just tell you real quick ridiculous story my brother was a monk with a blue dragon and a and a dragon lance because I was reading the dragon lance series at the time and that's that's how that Amazing. game that's how that game went on <laughs> but that's how I started because it was out of necessity there was no one else to play with so yep. we had to do that game and frankly all of the duet gaming I've done has be has been because of there's only two people want to play so uh i'll read real quick about this and try to turn it over to craig but so we had the my early days 13 year old running basic uh rule cyclopedia then in high school i was a player in a dark sun game where we played um between junior and senior year of high school all summer pretty much every day of the week we'd stay up till like five in the morning eating pizza hut and drinking coca-cola God, that's amazing. Yeah. two people so, you just two people you and yeah, your buddy yeah, yeah me and my buddy jim oh, yeah amazing. yeah my buddy jim would run the game we would in between playing panzer general on the playstation and uh a bunch of other games final fantasy 7 and stuff so that that was that that part and then i'd say the next piece where i did a lot of duet gaming was when I was in the navy i had a roommate we didn't know anyone in the area because we worked a crazy rotating shift work so we didn't have any friends it was just him and i and we played Mutant Crawl, uh, not Mutant Crawl, Mutant Chronicles, the original version, mm-hmm. not the 2D20 version. Um, and that's what we played. We played a ton of Mutant Chronicles. And he, once again, he was more the game master on that, and I was a player. So I do have more experience as a player on duet gaming than I do as a game master. Now you've been doing it more. Re- you've done it recently, though. That's not where yeah, it ended. That's, yeah, that's true. So what I like to use duet gaming now, so I have a buddy who is new to gaming. Just met him a couple years ago. He's a nerd like us, but he's was more into video games. So what I like to do, one of the methods for duet gaming is like, hey, he's like, I want to try it out. I'm like, okay, cool. Let's do a scenario and let's let's do that. So I, I did a, a solo Solar Blades and Cosmic Spell scenario with him over a few sessions. Um, I've done some duet gaming with Harrigan, actually, on the Gaming and BS Landia uh, Discord server via play-by-post with MechaHack. Um, and then I've also done some duet gaming where it's like, oh, Craig's joining the group, but I don't just want to ram him into the scenario. Right. Like, I got to figure out a way to get Craig in the group. So we're going to do a four-hour whatever session to kind of figure out, like, how Craig's elf is now traveling with his party across the wastelands, right? Otherwise, it might feel a little forced. Now, sometimes if you have to do it, you got to do it. But if I can, sure, I'd like to do, like, a solo session to try to you know, get a person in and kind of get a flow of it. So really lately it's been either teaching a new person how to play or um, trying to integrate like a new character or a new player into a game. Yeah, that's a good, I think when, at least when I think of duet gaming, it's usually, Hey, let's, Hey, Craig, or Hey, Eric, let's, let's play. I'm going to, we'll run a one-on-one game, right? Does that sound good? Cool. We'll just make the, you know, we'll play it short, see how it goes. Although I think many of us have done it as a precursor to a bigger kickoff, right? Game. Yeah. You know, uh, I think that's where it's probably most likely to be seen or, you know, taken place. Um, there's obviously advantages and disadvantages to duet gaming. Um, some of the advantages, obviously, I think is, is scheduling. Um, what else? Craig um there's a 
there's a trust, right? So you you have somebody who trusts you, you trust them. There's a, not a whole lot of wild cards or variables in play. Um, and you, as long as you're doing your check-ins with that person, it could be amazing because you only have, like, there's only two of you, right? You, you're not having to, you know, move the spotlight. You're not have to check everybody's temperature, making sure everybody's happy with where things are going. Um, but I will argue that it takes... Uh, a more more awareness and trust than maybe you know being able to hide among four players. Yeah, the person's going to have to engage in the story. Otherwise, it's going to be me talking to myself as the game master, <laughs> right? Which I'm cool with. I tell my players that all the time. I'm like, guys, if you want these two NPCs to just have like a you know solo play here, I can do that. But yeah, I, Craig's right. I mean, you you really get a, a focus on that person. So if you have a person who might be new or maybe they're afraid to interact in a large group setting, this is their chance and opportunity to kind of maybe grow some of those skills and you can show them like, hey, you can, you know, Billy over there, yeah, he's a wannabe actor or voice actor. You can do some stuff like they can. You can engage just as much as they can. Um, so I think that's a huge advantage. Um, I think scheduling, like you said, Sean, is probably the biggest. That's, I guess. that's probably yeah. the biggest one. I mean, there's only two schedules to manage um, and, you know, you could work through that. Yeah, really easy. The um, the thing you mentioned briefly, Eric, was the NPCs. If if the other if the player doesn't engage, it, do do you like just do you start talking to yourself in like two different people voices? <laughs> That's exactly what right? you yes. do. That's exactly what you do. That's exactly what but, I do um, too. All right. Yeah. There's and if you go back and watch my actual play of this uh, Mask of Desire, which is the duet, um, like you'll see that where I'm just talking to myself. And, you know, I think, and, and Eric, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Like the role of NPCs is very different in a duet game than it is, I think, in a, you know, three or four player game. They, they, they have a different purpose. And I think you as a GM have to pay a lot more attention in keeping things moving. Um, and keeping things rolling because, again, the, the other player doesn't have other players to help. Uh, and to get that momentum going, um, your NPCs, I think, play a different role. I mean, have you felt that, Eric? Yeah, and, and you bring up a good point. So first thing, I think, when you go into a duet game is what kind of duet game are you going to run? Is this going to be – so in my Mutant Chronicles game where I was a player, it was noir. I was a private detective. I was working mostly solo, except for a few NPCs that I interacted with, like this guy's the doctor that patches me up after I get shot. This is guy is the drug dealer on the corner that I slip bribes to. My character had a supermodel girlfriend that never was actually in the game. She was always off in the galaxy doing something. But, in Canada. Yeah, in Canada. <laughs> Niagara <yeah>. Falls. <laughs> Niagara Falls, yeah. But, but in that game – that was it was really dependent on my character. Now, Craig, you go back to talking about playing mid eighties duet gaming, and this kind of goes back to old gaming and BS episode where we talk about is D and D a team game? D and D is designed on a party, right? I mean, I really it is. I mean, so I'm sure someone will email Sean and say Eric's wrong, uh, but my personal opinion is it's designed on a party. So, are you going to run the character as their solo and they're doing all the stuff, or are you going to run a duet game where I'm controlling a party or I'm controlling two or three members of a party or is Craig controlling half the party or is there a large party of NPCs and I'm controlling one character in there? Um, you know, that that's what you have to kind of decide from a game standpoint is how much is the player going to take on from a control standpoint and how much is the game master going to take on? And that is where your NPCs are going to have a larger impact. Yes, exactly. And, and I'll, I'll die on this hill too, Eric. I think that those scenarios that you put in where, you know, the GM is running the, the other party members or the player is running multiple characters, I'll argue that's not duet gaming. Um, I, and and, and, and that, that doesn't mean doing that is bad, but I think that there's something very special about duet gaming. And I think that you're cheating yourself by doing that. Um, and again, if you want to do that, that's, that's fine. But you, I think you're not e truly experiencing how amazing of a, uh, an experience it can be with just one player, one GM. Yeah, I agree. And if you're going to, in my opinion, this is my opinion is if you're going to play a game where like, it's like, Hey, Eric, you're going to control a whole party of characters. I, I have hero quest over there. You might as well grab hero quest 
and pull that yeah. out and do a dungeon crawl board game because I unless someone's I mean someone out there could be a, like hyper amazing but I'm not that guy. I can't role play five characters effectively. It gets a little weird because you're going to pick a favorite and you know yep. your paladin's going to be the guy that's doing all the talking or your bard and then your your cleric whoever's in the background they just end up being heal bots or your wizard's just a magic missile machine. So I do agree yeah, with Craig. You're on that. The yeah. different rules. Yeah. Didn't we used no, to I play agree. like that though? A little bit. Yeah. yeah. And, there, and there's nothing wrong with that, but I don't think that that's duet gaming. Gotcha. No, that makes sense. And I think that's, you know, we're talking about advantages. Obviously, disadvantages is when you're when you're dealing with a game system that Eric alludes to that's based on party composition because you don't have the complementary classes that can do X or Y better than Z, then you run into a bit of a pickle, right? So Knights Black Agents has solo ops that's created. If you you Craig's shaking his or nodding his head. Craig, have you do you have that? Have you looked it over? Yeah, haven't. I've already got it scheduled to run. Um, it, it's it's amazing. Um, it's a. I will say my only criticism is is that they. Uh, um, Height kind of made it its own system. He kind of built a couple layers on top of um, Knights Black Agent, I think, to help like hold up duet gaming. Um, when I'm going to run it, I'm going to pull it back just to the core game pretty much. There's a couple elements in there I'll use. But the scenario that's in that book, and it's 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 got to have like five different basically standalone adventures that can all tie together. But it starts off like Jason Bourne, the <laughs> character wakes up, doesn't know who the F they are, and they have a whole history and, and it's, it's out and well, it's height. I mean, he's, he knows what he's doing. Um, but, uh, it's good. It's good. And it works well. I think in, in the, in the solo aspect of Knights Black Agents where you're a secret agent, right? Yeah. So when, we, when Sean, when you mentioned this and you were like, Hey Eric, do you want to come on the podcast? And I'm starting to think like, Oh, well, what would be good things? I'm like, I was going to say, I find it best in duet gaming when the player is controlling a character, you kind of have to make them Jason Bourne. I, that was literally the reference yeah. that I was going to bring up because they – so one, in a group of five players, four five players, you have four brains working on a problem, right? So they're going to much more easily be able to come up with a creative solution to said problem, to defeat that's the, the Dungeon that's, Master. That's the mastermind principle. Yeah. That's, yeah like this, right. that's why the show is created to have people come on and talk about it, right? The other thing, too, is if you're playing a mechanic, a game where mechanically a single person is limited, you know, if I'm playing D&D second edition and we're going to play duet gaming and Craig plays a fighter, I have to throw like one kobold at him at a time until he gets to level five and then he can fight two orcs. And then later on and because because a two E fighter doesn't have any like or three O or three five or Pathfinder, whatever. They don't have any skills to deal with other problems mechanically in the game. I mean, if you're going to just kind of freewheel and freestyle, sure, okay, you can, you know, if you're going to say Craig's fighter can do things he normally can't do, great. But if my opinion is it works best when the player character it has a capable character, because otherwise I've found if you have an incapable character like a level one AD&D 2E wizard and you're like, oh, I'm going to do this apprentice adventure, which I've tried before, and I'm going to send this wizard out into the wild to go fetch like a, a leaf from somewhere. He gets killed by a badger in the woods, right? Because he has two hit points and can't do anything. <laughs> have you experienced that, Craig? Like what's your what's your feelings on that? Yeah, I think that you have to be very deliberate about how you design your scenarios and and, and your game. Um, you can't walk in, you can't just grab something off the shelf or something you've done before for parties. And I think this is, you know, especially true in a system like you're talking about, that's a party based system, but I think it's in any system. I mean, it has to be, it's, it's a different game. It plays different. It feels different. Um, you know, one of the big things that I learned the hard way is, um, you have to be far more liberal about things like clues yeah. and, and hooks and you also have to be nimble. Believe it or not, you would think you'd have to be more nimble with four players. I think you have to be more nimble with one player as a GM because, um, and, well, it depends. I'm a follow follow the table GM, right? So I've got to, like, who the hell knows what one person's going to come up with? And you've got to be ready. You've got to be ready to zig and to zag and still, still drop those hooks, still drop those clues. 
Right. So you're not pushing them for taking a right turn. Well, yeah, in a four-player game, let's say you're going to react, right? You have four things to react to, right? So Sean says something, Brett says something, Harrigan says something, Jim says something. You can pick the best one. In a one-player game, Craig gives me an idea. I mean, I guess you could be like, uh, you sure? <laughs> is, that, is that like what you really want to do? <laughs> like, <laughs> do you got anything else that I could work with? Because I'm at, you know, you might have to be like, okay, I'm going to have to go with that and build off of it more. Maybe be more creative from yourself, from Game Master, because you have less uh, clay to work with to, you know, make your sculpture of what you're working on. When you're playing with four players, you could probably, as a Game Master, get two or three to go, hey, we should probably go that way. <laughs> right. You know, the one... It's the fourth time he's mentioned the, the one goof, <laughs> Yes, the one goofball that's like, nah, I don't really, I don't know about that. That would be the solo player. Right, right. <laughs> right. He's the so, guy that always asks, can I ride it? I want to go up and pet it. Right. Um, no, it is. It is and, and the other thing, too, that I found out is you you have to really listen to the player and have to pay attention to the player. So you've got a sense they're getting frustrated before they get frustrated. So, Craig, you don't right? listen to your players unless there's only one at the table. I can barely handle having two people on this podcast. Right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I'm saying I'm saying it, it is like. You've got multiple voices, right, going in there, and you'll have some dominant voices in, in you know, three or four players and, and things like that. And yeah, you, you definitely are listening to it, but I can have one of my players get frustrated and the table will help manage that, right? They'll kind of boost them up, let's go, you know, let's try this and so on and so forth. But if I've got one player and they are getting frustrated, I might lose them, right? So I've got to, I've got to smell it and deal with it far sooner than I may have to do if I've got three or four players, if that makes any sense. Um, you know, and, and, I, and I'm coming into it from a very specific lens because most recently it was Call of Cthulhu, right? So you've got to be really careful with investigative games like that because it's, I mean, we've all played those games before where you feel like you're running into a brick wall left and right, but you know, you can't bounce anything off anybody. Um, so you've got to really, you've got to sense that with your player and you've got to help them. And there were times when, in you know, we did five sessions where I just dropped the most obvious clue on the table. Like I'm, you know, like you know, the, the red lights flashing, all the spotlights wee, hit the, wee, hit the wee, note. Wee, wee, wee. Yeah, turn it up. And it felt it felt so over when I was doing it. Like I felt I was being obnoxious. And then I would talk to Nick after the end of the session, and he did not see it that way at all. Like he thought he figured it out and was moving the story forward. Um, so, you know, you've got to, you've got to be ready to at sometimes, you know, just put it out there. So Nick, um, if you're listening to this, um, you figured it all out. <laughs> so don't, don't take, don't put any credit on Craig's plate. Well, for. You know, the, the, go back to advantages. Cause we're kind of talking more about things to make sure that you um, are cognizant of Craig brings up a good point, you know, I've been in some games recently where there's a larger number of players and it's very easy to kind of be like, okay, I'm kind of off to the side. A big advantage in the solo game or duet game in this case, not solo duet and during investigation is there's one person doing the investigating. So when the party splits and it inevitably happens in an investigation game, you go to the library, you go to town hall, you go talk to old man on the uh, up on the hill. That doesn't happen. Right. So so the player is never going to be, in my opinion, disengaged. Right. You're going to have maximum engagement from that player if they're bored. It's because they don't want to play the game, period. Right. Like it, they should be engaged in, in stuff happening. You know, one of the, kind of backing up a little bit to the solo ops and Knights Black Agent and party balance, like you play a pre, I, don't, I know Craig's going to sounds like you're going to change it, but it's it comes with a pre-generated character. Yeah, we'll use her. Oh, you are okay, but yeah. she's yeah. she's tweaked. Yes, yeah. not nerfed. <laughs> no, um, no, she's like she's a badass. Yeah, she's got like I think everything. So it'd be like I don't yeah. even know how you would do it in in like a game like Fifth Edition. I don't know if you just have uh, to be like you could you could do it. So we did this in Pathfinder. This wasn't a duet game. This was um, a three person game, but it was uh, Rise they, of the Rune Lords. But they wanted to play supers. Yeah, yeah. So what we did is we did the 
I can't remember what it's called in Pathfinder 1E, but basically your character has two character classes. And right. so you're like a barbarian and a cleric, right? Yeah. So my barbarian could make himself 30 feet tall and give himself a 5,000 strength. And um, yeah, it was crazy. And I made my own race anyway. It's a whole other story. But <laughs> it was total twink. <laughs> of course like, smurfing yeah. uh, smurfing out right but um where's it going on this yeah so he, the other thing too is okay, okay so let's say craig decides to do knights of black agents but he's like i don't like this overpowered character because i'm an old school gamer and i you know i want this kind of lower power level right and so he goes with that well he better be prepared for that character to get captured thrown in prison and not able to escape because then what happens right do you do you just like like have them escape like you have to think like you might have to change your paradigm if you're used to the characters not being individually as capable so as a game master you might have to shift your mental state if you want to run a certain scenario like if you want him if you want this agent if you want her to take on some vampire cabal well she's gonna have to be pretty capable or you know she's you're gonna have to rely on a bunch of npcs and at that point like Craig said, are you really running a duet game or is it kind of more of like you're just stroking your own GM ego to run all your favorite non-player characters? <laughs> yeah, but you can you can find new challenges in that scenario. So what happens in that um, solo ops is, you know, the challenge is, is that this character, even though she's a badass, doesn't know who she is, doesn't know what's been happening, right? So, so the challenge in the duet, which I'm, I'm super anxious to run this, is you know figuring out that mystery. Um, so, um, and 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 that's different, right? So, yes, she's a badass, but looking over things, and this, of course, this may change as soon as I hit it, brings it to the table. I don't think it's going to be a combat heavy game. I really don't. I think it's going to be very investigative. A lot of like, holy shits, like there's there's some really good twists in it. Um, but, you know, there, there's a lot of meat. And the one thing that I learned, and this I, this I was able to carry to running out larger games, is you have to have a little bit of that kind of uh, Cordova um, uh, method of having like a basket of, of clues, right? That, and a basket of encounters. And those are there and they can be dropped anywhere. They're, you don't need a specific scenario for it to happen, but you need to have that shit ready so that when, when things start screeching to a halt, you can reach into these baskets and you can keep things going and keep the story moving or not the story. You can keep, you can keep the adventure moving and the momentum going forward. Um, but I mean, uh, Brindlewood Bay was a huge help as far as structurally understanding that concept because that's how all the mysteries are set up that way. Um, you don't, uh, you know, you don't know who even the GM doesn't know who did did the murder when you're running that. Um, but but that concept that Cordova has of of having just a basket of tools of of clues and a basket of encounters and just having those at your ready that was huge for me. Just- yeah, and a lot of a lot of the stuff we're talking about too applies to. Uh, like normal gaming too right yeah. i mean it's it, i think it's just amplified more in duet gaming um turn around a little bit on the host of the show the king of the masterminds have you done much duet gaming sean like what's your experiences with that you know once i when i was thinking about it i'm like no i've never done it and then i thought about wait a minute i've i've done i just did it yesterday right so <laughs> Your marriage doesn't count. No, <laughs> not that kind of role playing, Craig. Jeez, it's Tuesday, not a library night. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going to edit that out. Right? <laughs> not with these two yahoos. No, but I, I'm going to run Impossible Landscapes in August. Craig's going to be part of that game, and yep. one of the th- so we we, there, we had some scheduling snafus. Long story short. There's a half the party I'm running right now, Delta Green, different scenario. Well, one of the guys is is back and he's like, hey, you know, I can't wait to play next week. And I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> I, which I knew, right? He was only going to miss one day during the week or during the month. So he says, okay, I said, I need your character's info, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, okay, I'm going to pick this, like all on Discord in real time this is what's happening he's like okay i'm gonna pick this one great what's what's their name this is their name uh air force this is what they're gonna be doing okay great 
And as I was thinking of like bringing up to speed at the beginning of the, of the next session, he's like, all right, so yeah, I'm sitting at my house, da, 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 da. And he just like starts kicking it off. And I go, okay, well, you, oh, get, sure. you get it. And I kind of said, well, you'll get an envelope. You've got, you receive an envelope and this is what happens. And he's like, okay, I look on it I pull out the contents and he just keeps going and going and going. And I'm like, okay, well, lucky for me, I don't have a job right now. So, <laughs> so <laughs> that's cool though. Right. Yeah. And, and so Edwin is, you know, is, is he, so I got him to the hotel of where he needs to be to meet the rest of the party. So when we get to the next session, they can bring him up to speed. I could probably even record I have a recording of the show. I could just send him and he could listen to it. I could say, there, you know all this. Uh, let them bring him up right. to speed. Yeah. No, no, no. But um, so the the quick answer is I didn't really consciously make a note of me doing duet gaming, but I know that I've walked through those situations to get somebody into a game or, hey, this is how you meet the party. And it's funny because usually you'll do it at the table when somebody dies and they create a new a new, <laughs> a new tune. Yep. A new tune, like people love when I refer to PCs as tunes. Um, but that's, so not a ton, not like you guys where you've sat down. I mean, even as a kid, I don't think we would play with just two people. Sean had more friends than Eric. <laughs> yeah, I guess <laughs> you, you lived in the big city, Sean. No, though. no, that's I not know. true. Eric, you knew where, uh, I, you knew where I grew up. I've been up. I've been across from the the apartment that he you has. In. <laughs> he has seen the childhood home of Sean Kelly, um, but it was you know rural village town of a thousand people, and the people that got me into gaming, they you know a year or two older than me, and there were three. There was there was a group of them. It kind of fractured, but I never had. The only time we would do duet gaming as a kid is if we just couldn't like Billy Jay or Joe aren't around. Right. So I, you know, honestly, th looking back on it, I've probably done more duet gaming than I've actually done um, group gaming. Really? Like, I, that's the realization so cool. I came to, to today because, you know, sure, we like, I was talking to my buddy, Mike Poswald, the one, uh, the guy who actually got me into gaming and BS. I don't know if you remember. I know Mike. Mike. I've Sean. Met Mike. Yeah. 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 So we, I played with him in high school and he always, jokes with me he's like i think you remember us playing a lot more D D than we actually played like we we did more farting around and like building <laughs> like starting campaigns and building gerps characters or other things and then failed that this and then i started thinking gonna about be it so great i can't wait to play yeah. him. he's gonna take on the whole galaxy it's gonna be awesome my, and then you never play <laughs> right that's my entire career of car wars yeah. okay. oh well that was one of <laughs> the that was one of the games i could tell you i've made many car wars cars and have never actually played the game but never for played. sure that's, that's in the game i need to get into um but get gas i was thinking lands. about it i was like playing that uh, so the game that we played in high school that was duet that was actually dark sun so we played cool. yeah we played a dark sun campaign and i played now i played a half giant gladiator right and he was like the the gm gave me a bunch of magic items because that's another thing it's like if you're gonna play a 2e type game and you want your your players to fight demons and dracoliches and like I don't know, sand sorceresses in leather bikinis, then you need to give them some sweet magic items to be able to battle them off. So that, that was, we played a lot of dark sun for that. And then, um, and, and mutant chronicles, my characters had a lot of guns. <laughs> There's a lot of gunfights in that game. So you had to <laughs> body armor and, you know, different things like that. So um, I, I think that, I do think that system matters a lot in duet gaming. So, so I'll ask this to Craig. Craig, off off the top of your head, what are what are some systems right now? If I was like, hey, Craig, I want to run a duet game, like, and I want to be a player in it outside of Knights of Black Agent, because you mentioned that one already. What are some other things that you think would work well for that? Um, well, I'm gonna start by saying things that that I think you'd struggle with is PBTA because of the playbook concept. Yeah. I think that that really, and which, which part of what's makes PBTA great is, but that's a party game. Yeah. Um, and and the relationships, like, like that's part of the fun right. of building that game is like, I, you know, I pick a relationship with Craig and then Craig picks a relationship with Sean. I, I thought about that too. 
PBTA from a story game standpoint is cool, but I really think it plays the best with a party. I agree. And I'll, and I'll say the same thing for Forge in the Dark, right? Blades in the Dark type game, same type of thing. Um, I will, uh, so when you said Night Blake's Agent, um, I think Call of Cthulhu works, um, partially because of kind of what you talked about, Eric, which is, you know, you can have the detective, right? Like that fits into Call of Cthulhu and you can pretty much run any scenario in Call of Cthulhu and cater it to a, a single detective. Craig doesn't have Cthulhu um, Confidential, do you, Craig? I do, ah, actually. Trail of Cthulhu. That is the one-on-one version, by the way. Yeah. yeah, and that was the one I was about to plug. And that is a really interesting book as well. It takes the it takes Trail of Cthulhu, and it has three kind of mini-campaigns, all with three different individual pre-made characters. Um, and, they're, and I've read them, and they're good. They're like really good. Um, and like each of them are thematically different. And I think I think one of the things I'd recommend to people listening that are thinking about this is pick up one of these scenarios, whether it be the confidential from Trail of Cthulhu, whether it be the solo ops for Nice Black Agent, or whether it be the um, Does Love Forgive from Call of Cthulhu. And the reason I say that is I, I think it's important to see how different the scenarios are um, so that you can understand that. I can't grab Dark Tower and run it solo, right? Now, I can take Dark Tower and change it and adapt it and make it different, but you you have to be very conscious of, of, of the game you're running and what you can put in front of the characters for multiple reasons. One is character death. You know, two is, I think even more important is frustration. I think that's one of the huge traps that can, that can occur when you're, when you're running solo or duet. Yeah. So, I have a couple of systems to recommend too, but I, I want to hit the character death thing because you mentioned that. So, you know, you have to be, you know, in a D&D game, you're like, oh, if one or two players die or characters, we don't want the players to die. That'd be bad. If one or two characters die during the game, you know, you can replace them, right? You can maybe add some people in, keep story continuity going. In Knights of Black Agent, if Super Agent, you know, dies, game over. So are you going to play a game where where when the character hits zero hit points, they're dead? Or are you going to play a game where when the character hits zero hit points, they get a wound or some other complication, and now they just have to break out of prison? Like, like what type of game is this going to be? Is this going to be a hardcore, you know, you're dead, you're dead? Or are you going to play a game that um, cares more about the narrative continuing on vice, you know, oh, it's over. You know, you lost or you won or whatever. Is it more of a, you know... A, pass fail type situation and that kind of goes with are you gonna uh you know if you're the i know sean you've talked about this too with um uh is it pass fail game right the you know uh save or suck type thing so are you gonna you know okay i'm gonna try to pick this lock oh you fail you can't pick the lock well i have to get on the other side of that door and my character's got a five strength they, they, they can't get on the other side of the door i guess i'll sit here and wait for a guard to show up or something you next. don't so, you don't so, you can't pick the lock and you're too weak to slam the door you know to push the right. door, yeah. you know, crush the door yeah right and i'm gonna be a broken record for just a second but eric that's where the scenario makes so is so important so like you talk about call of cthulhu which is a notoriously deadly system right like everybody jokes you know yeah we're gonna play for two hours and die um, but if you look at the scenarios in Does Love Forgive, you realize that they are that's not what they are. They're not your typical Call of Cthulhu scenarios, and there's very little combat, very little direct encounters with the mythos. But they're still Call of Cthulhu, and they're still great, but your, char- your player has a very good chance of getting from beginning to end. And that's because it is specifically tailored, even though it's Call of Cthulhu, to duet play. So what are your systems, Eric? So uh, stuff that I've done recently that works for Duet, Solar Blades and Cosmic Spells, um, that works because your characters start off fairly capable because it's a, it's a D20 roll-under system, and um, you roll 3D6 down the line. And even then, in that type of system, if you roll a 9, you still get a 45% chance of success, which is better than your standard kind of D&D where you're going against like a DC 15, you know, bonus is 25% chance of success. So, so the characters are fairly capable. The characters, the damage in that game is relatively low. Well, you don't gain hit point much over time. And, um, it's got an amazing toolkit too. I'll plug that. Diogo does an awesome job with his D66 tables and the, and the, so good. yeah, it's they're they're fantastic. Like I can literally run a game like right now for you guys if I had to. It would like take me 30 seconds. But anyway, that's a different episode. Um 
I ran that scenario and in that one, uh, like it was like uh, a kid down at the docks in some spaceport um, gets in trouble with the the wrong people and uh, his aunt hires the character to go find out what happened to him. Right. So that's, you know, go down to the docks, talk to people, go to the bar, talk to people. Uh, the guy who was playing it was like more of a rough and tough guy. So we did some roughing up and intimidating. And then, you know, you get to the, the you know, the part where he finds out where this guy's been kidnapped and he's got to go in there and rescue him. And, and you've got to make sure you give him opportunities like, hey, you don't have to do a frontal assault of this thing. Now, this player in this instance decided to do that. So that's a whole other situation. You're like, are you sure? There's like five dudes there. Oh, yeah, I think I can take them. I don't think you can. But OK, let's see what happens. But um, I think that game works really well for that. Um, I love Mecha Hack. Um, the only like Mecha Hack, you start a player off at level three and like uh, a Mecha Hack, you're you know, you're a mech, you're a giant robot, and it's it's very easy to scale the encounters on that one where you can have like low level things that are cool. So it's not like you're fighting kobolds the entire time, right? Like you can make really cool fights um, and battles and that. That's more of a combat game, um, but Mega Hack is, is, is great. And then uh, for an old game, I you know, Mutant Chronicles works awesome in my opinion. Um, it's a late 90s, early 2000s game, so it's kind of got some of that weird kind of uh, mechanics built into it but that game's got a very rich character development system so when your character starts you like roll for their history like every two years it's kind of like traveler from that standpoint so you're you start at like 26 28 your character has a rich backstory they've had all these careers like you know who they are and you can get right into the you know you're in a diesel punk city on the moon and you can get right into kind of like a blade runner-esque like investigative type game like right off the bat so those are three systems that I think work really well for, for duet gaming. And you, you prompted my memory a little bit because there's two other systems that I have not done. So I don't, I'm not saying they would work, but it pops into my head. One is Star Trek Adventures from Modiphius. And the reason I wonder if that would be interesting is because there's built-in mechanics for you to transfer to other crew members. So they don't become other characters. You quickly roll up the character that's the assistant science officer because they're the one that's going to go on the uh, they're the red shirt that's going to go to the planet, and you're playing the captain, so you have to stay on the ship. So I'd be interested to see if that would fit. Um, but I've never I've never run it. I've only read it. The other one I think would be interesting is uh, they came from they came from uh, uh, below the grave. They came from beyond the grave. Um, and that has an interesting system where it's set in the seventies. So it's, it's supposed to be like, um, you know, Alice Cooper, Vincent price, like seventies horror. Right. And then you play characters in that kind of that era of movies, but everything that they deal with in, in the movie was trouble that was created back in the 1800s. Right. So some, Somebody killed a woman and a witch back in the 1800s, and that's why the house is haunted. And so you're playing that character in the 70s, characters in the 70s dealing with the haunted house, and the GM will flash you back to the 1800s and put you in other characters to live through the backstory of how the house, house got haunted. So I wonder if that would work, too. I might, I might have to dive back into that system and look at it again. It's, it's Storyteller White Wolf. Um, okay, yeah. And, you know, something I just noticed a trend. So I bring I brought up three science fiction kind of modern-ish games. Um, that's kind of where my sweet spot is right now. I'm kind of drifted away from fantasy. You brought up Cthulhu, which is, you know, 20s to now horror. Um, mm-hmm. You know, <sighs> Fantasy, I think, duet gaming in my head is probably the hardest to do. Challenge. So what systems could work well to do fantasy duet gaming where you're not doing the, that's my favorite example, where you have to fight kobolds in the forest until you're level 20 and you could actually go do something. I mean, I in my head, I sharp swords and sinister spells, I'll plug Diogo again. Uh, he eventually will release second edition at some point. Um, I think that would work. Primal. Uh, which from Diego? Uh, which one? Primal? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Primal. Oh, Primal Quest. Yeah, I haven't got a chance to look at the Primal yet. Um, that would work. That would work. Okay. So that's. I'm trying to think of other fantasy games because that's the most popular genre. Five E. I think you could do Five E because, well, you'd have to CRs would be tough, right? You'd I think have to you really... could do do basic. Just do basic and expert. O O S E. Yeah. And and here's the reason why I think some of those games 
would be okay is anything that doesn't rely on a ton of skills and that it's players right. player skill, right? So you might get into weird situations where you don't have the cleric to heal or you don't have the rogue to pick a lock, but those are things you either don't put in front of the player character right? or you give them more than one option if they come across the lock or they get hurt. Because mechanically, if you've seen a character sheet from basic, there's nothing to that thing. Yeah. And it's usually well, based on whatever, you know, story that they want to bring in and say, well, I should probably know <clears throat> that. Or because you grew, you're a gong farmer. Well, that's why, you know, it's trampling through your fields, you know? Right. Well, and you could do to work to maintain the kind of the smallness, you know, it could be like, Hey, you know, you're playing kind of more of a jack of all trades character, and I I know I need someone to pick a lock, right? You find out that the Duke has this magic item in a chest in his in his you know in his his bedroom, and you know you can't pick locks because you're a fighter, right, or whatever, and you're like, all right, well I got to go get a guy, and that's the whole adventure is finding the right locksmith or lock picker in town. And then you get them and you hire him and they go with you. And it's, and it's one NPC instead of like a whole party of people going with you. Right. Or you're, you know, you're going to go into this forest that's dangerous and there's a bunch of poison in there. So you, you go hire a, uh, a cleric to come with you to, to help, you know, you're like, you know, you're going to get poisoned at some point. You got to fight a giant scorpion or something. And they're the person that's going to get the poison away from you or whatever. I think urban, urban adventures usually will work a little bit better because you could still have urban fantasy, where you've got somebody going through the town, streets of Avalon, plug Brett Blazinski, go buy it, um, where you're you're the solo person in the town, so you have all the resources, you just have to go and get them, get them like you said, Eric. So yeah. once, once they go outside the town and they run into six kobolds, well, then they might be in trouble, but hopefully they're wise enough to not go alone or maybe they have help or a faithful companion that can like a a, a, a dire wolf companion so oh, it's just gonna say so the ranger is the perfect the ranger is the perfect duet game you know ranger wielding with a wolf dual companion. scimitars <laughs> silver hair dark skin why not buddy green cloak yeah 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 so so here's the challenge i'll put forward to everybody and that includes people listening is we're, what we're talking about is trying to adapt solo play to traditional play, right? So how do we allow traditional play to happen, but it's a solo game? And my challenge is don't do that. Change the scenario, right? So we've been talking about what systems would work. Now that I'm hearing us talk about it, and I was one of them running my mouth, I think we should. I think it's more interesting to talk about what are the types of scenarios to run. Right. Because that I think that changes. And I think that's what changes in duet games, right? Doing a dungeon crawl with locked doors and secret doors and traps and stuff could be uh, not good for solo. Yeah, and I, I just I don't care whether you're running old school OSR from somebody as smart as Diego or you're running, you know, uh, basic. It doesn't matter. Um, but if you're going to run D&D, then take this opportunity to run a different type of scenario that isn't, you know, go rescue the town from the invading goblins, you know, make it a murder mystery, make it something else. Um, so that, that's the challenge I'll put forth is before you start trying to adapt solo play to traditional scenarios, think about what you can do to the scenario to adapt it to solo play. I think a Game of Thrones game, right? Everybody likes Game of Thrones. Like it was hugely successful. I don't we like could, Game of Thrones. Good, Just point right, that well, out that's, for the record. That's the last <laughs> podcast Eric will ever be on. And so... <laughs> <laughs> and it just invalidates all of the things that he's previously said in the last 40 minutes. But anyways, <laughs> say, for example, you live on Earth and you are appreciative of the Game of Thrones franchise. The thing is with that game, if you were to run that with a typical group, it would be relatively difficult. It is so much a solo or maybe even a two-player one-game master point. game, right? Because. How do you do all the intrigue and everything when you're in a group that's when the game is set up in a different way? Uh, you bring up what I love about that. Oh, I was going to say, you bring up a great, great point. I'll be quick because you look at Game of Thrones, epic fantasy, large character grouping. You think, like, oh, that could be D&D. But then you go look at Dragonlance, which was the first book, was based on the module. 
yes, lots of characters, but that's a group of that's a party, right? And in Game of Thrones, the well, I guess it's more like old school D and T. Lots of the party dies, and they replace lots of characters. Spoiler: lots of people <laughs> die in Game of Thrones. <laughs> but yeah, you make a good point to Craig. Yeah. Well, and to build off of that, Sean is you couldn't play every character in Game of Thrones solo. Right. But so, but again, and I'm gonna be I'm gonna beat this dead horse on the scenario thing. You take a step back and go, well, who could you do? So you could you could do solo play with Cersei, mm-hmm. sure, right? You could do solo play with uh, uh, Tywin, right? Arya could do solo. Right? So there's some characters in there because of the t- they're where they are in the world and how they encounter and deal with the world. That would be scenarios that solo play would do. Whereas like a Jon Snow or even uh, the brother. The Lannister brother, he wouldn't he wouldn't work well because he's 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 just running into things, right? It it doesn't have it's not the, quite the same type of scenario. Um, so it's an interesting thing with well, Game and of the Thrones. books are all done by the chapters of the individuals, I believe. Yeah, which is cool, yeah, right? So, um, one of the things I'm curious about, and I haven't, um, you get. Do you guys still run a full session with a one person player? Like oh, four, yeah, uh, three or four hours? Because I think I look at it this way. Eight hours. Eight hours. So I look yeah. at it this way. If I had four players and I were to run a session, typically I would run a session for like four hours to make it worth everybody's while, make sure the spotlight spread around. You, you could cover some ground. Why don't you run a, you know, one player for like an hour and a half? Well, you could. We, yeah, yeah, we could. Yeah, you could, but you you cover so much in three right. hours, though. That's part of what. That's another advantage of solo play is you you get much farther along in solo play, in my experience, than you do in in, in group play. Yeah, there's less bickering um, about you know, do we yeah. go left? Do we go right? Should we go talk to the butcher or the baker or the candlestick maker? Uh, plug for Brett Blinzinski and uh, Third Floor <laughs> Wars to go watch uh, this Avalon stream that was excellently done, by the way. Um, you know, there's less arguing and over, you know, like, what are we going to do? It's like, you're like, I'm like, Craig, what are you going to do? And right. he has to make a decision. And as long as Craig isn't paralyzed by the decision, you know, he's eventually going to make one. And it's going to be in a lot less time than four people making a decision. I can tell you that. Yeah. yeah I was just saying that maybe you could, you, I mean, obviously you could play either way, but I just thought mm-hmm. if you were to, if you were just to want to get scheduling down, which is quick. And there, yeah. you don't want the obligation to be, you know, a huge commitment. You know, two hours so so not solo duet gaming. You could still cover a ton. You could, yeah. you could probably a cover a ton in an hour. That'd be a, yep. that's a big advantage of it. I agree. You could get a lot. You get a lot more done. I mean, you if you like back in the day, like I said, we played like every night. My buddy Jim and I would hang out, and if we played, we played like six, seven, eight hours. I mean, <laughs> we conquer all of Dark Sun in that amount of time, right? <laughs> I finished I mean, the there's, game. There's there's breaks in there, right? And you know, lots of pizza and Mountain Dew needed to be consumed <laughs> right. in between things. But you know, um, yeah, you, yeah, I agree with you, Sean. That would be an advantage. You you could literally play like a two hour session and actually get quite a bit done. Yeah, vice vice if four people were playing on a two hour session. It's pretty mentally taxing, I've heard. It definitely is. It's exhausting for both, both the GM and the player. Um, it takes a lot. Uh, it takes a lot out of you, and I think it. Uh, I have found it takes a little bit more prep uh, because of the baskets I was talking about. Um, uh, but I will. I can't wait to do it again. And anybody who's listening who has not done it, do it. Um, I went into it somewhat kind of like, eh, I'll try it. No big deal. And I came out of the faith. Um, I'm a huge fan of it. I can't wait to do it again. And I am a better GM after doing it than I was before. I was going to say, what, what have you learned from doing duet gaming that you probably hadn't, um, either experienced or realized after the fact even became better? How? Right. That's a question. I didn't frame that up very well, did I? This is embarrassing. Um, <laughs> I think the biggest thing that I took out of it, and this is this is not, I don't think, general universal. I used to, I learned that I can be a lot more overt with hooks and clues. I thought I had to be a lot more clever 
than I was. And I realized that I was only, only the only person who identifying how clever I was, was me. Right. <laughs> that like you, you, you have to kind of like be a little bit more overt, be, don't be afraid to, to get, put the key in the basket and let them get the key. Right. Um, and it's funny because it was that experience that made me realize that I was being a little too clever for my own good. And then the other thing that made me realize it was being a player and having it done to me. Uh, both overtly and not overtly. Because when it was done overtly to me, I didn't think about it until like hours later. I was like, oh, he just handed that to us. <laughs> but it didn't feel that way in gameplay. So I think that was a big takeaway is is it's very easy for us GMs to get way too clever for our own good. Um, yeah, and what I learned is I like to combat just as much as anyone. It's the reason why I play role-playing games. I mean, I, I do want some orc killing to happen at some point in my fantasy game. But what I learned is I got better at building non-combat scenarios because, I mean, combat can be a grind, right? Depending on the game you're playing, it can just, it just it like if it can just be too much, right? So I, it helped me get way better at coming up with like problems and things to solve that weren't that could not be solved by combat, right? Because a party of four can usually bash something down unless you give them a giant monster that's just that's clearly too strong for them, right? Um, with with a soul with a duet game, it's much easier. It's so easy to overwhelm the player with a combat encounter. You have to come up with things that are more interesting to deal with, and then when you do happen to have a combat encounter, you have to make it more interesting because they can't just out muscle, you know, yep. five thugs with shotguns, right? Like you got to come up with okay, there's cover here. These guys are elevated. There's barrels of oil over here that they could shoot. You know, like you, you, there's a forklift that you could hop in and drive into that. You know, like you have to create more things. And then when they ask, like, oh, hey, is there a forklift I can jump in in this warehouse? You're like, yep. well, it's a warehouse. Yeah, there of course is a forklift. And then you just determine how far away it is, right? So you, I think it, it's helped me become more creative with the the scenarios that um, that they're going to be that they're going to be allowed to. And from a player standpoint, I feel like it's made me a better role player, like going forward, because uh, I used to be um, pretty introverted when I was younger. And then now I, I'm super extroverted. I, I, I know. So like Sean's like, what? <laughs> Get <laughs> out of here. Yeah. Yeah, I know I was. I, I had a shell and I didn't really come out of it until, you know, my early 20s. So um, I think that that duet gaming helps do that because you're, you know, you're talking and you're, you gain confidence in being a character and just kind of expressing yourself. And I think that's a, a big advantage, too. I think I'm going to run. So if I get, say, I get one game night a week, right? And it's, say, it's three hours. I'm going to run three duet games in one in one night every other week. Then I'm playing six games or three, four yeah, games. My math is off. Well, let's take all the advantages of duet gaming. Let's throw it out. <laughs> <laughs> let's make it a scheduling nightmare. <laughs> Great idea, Sean. Way to ruin a good thing, Sean. I'm always thinking. You are. You're a thinker. <laughs> well, hey, I think that wraps it up. I think we covered everything about duet gaming. We talked about yeah. some of the disadvantages of that as we conversed and everything. I hope everybody got something out of this conversation. Thank you so much, Craig and Eric, for being on the show. I really appreciate it. I, I'm loving the show, Sean. So I was really looking forward to coming on. I really have been enjoying the other episodes. Great. Thank you. I will not lie that I was uh, in a state of shock and sadness when Gaming and BS uh, announced its ending, and I, I was happy to hear that uh, you know at least one half, the B, uh, was gone, and the S was remaining. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just I'm happy that the show's some level of the show is still going on with you, Sean. So appreciate it. Thank you. We'll have links to where you can find Craig and Eric down in the show notes. If you want to check that out, by all means, um, visit them where they are online and consume what they are producing. Um, you can find both of them frequent the, our Discord. If you want to go to gmmastermind.com forward slash Discord, they're on there every once in a while. Uh, and I think I, I want, I'm going to try duet gaming. I think I'm going to get one off the ground. I think you definitely should, man. Do it. As should everybody who's listening. All right. On behalf of my fellow guests, uh, thank you f for tuning in, and remember, be a positive force in the tabletop RPG hobby. GM Mastermind, produced with help from the following members of the mind. 
Joe Swick, The Grave, Mirko Froelich, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, Polish Ogre, Larry Hollis, Who's Carl Harrigan, Farty McButterpants, Laramie Wall, Aaron Relia, Wayne Peacock, Ron Bishop, Ghost GM, Old School DM, Craig Shipman, Larry Hout, John Mahoney, Yorkus Rex, Eric Salzwedo, Phil McClory, Jason Hobbs, Michael O'Holland, Remy Bellado, Crystal Eggstead, Eric Avia, Feeling Good Lewis, Eric Jeppesen, Vornak, Brian Kurtz, Chad Gleyman, Jim Ingram, Orcus Dorcas, and Chris Shorb. Thank you to each and every one of you. I really appreciate it. I hope you're all subscribed. In your podcatcher of choice, bring up GM Mastermind, hit subscribe. Another thing I would greatly appreciate.